Hello, everyone. This is Keyword Crypto, and I'm JJ. Thanks for tuning in. This week, we talked to Matthew Graham from a company called Sino Global Capital. Sino Global Capital is an investment firm based out of Beijing. They invest in legacy markets as well as crypto. So this is our opportunity. We've never had anybody on this show who, who is from the finance world, so we get to ask him some pretty dumb questions and pick his brain about what he thinks of crypto and if he has any cool stories. As always, you know, follow us, find us on Twitter at Keyword Crypto. At keywordcrypto.com is our website. You can find our Patreon information there if you'd like to support us. And with that, enjoy the show. We're still going. We're still Keyword Crypto here with Matthew Graham from Sino Capital. He's all the way out in China. Can you talk? Can you tell us where in China you are? You're just in China. So we are based in Beijing. Uh, we do also have uh, regional offices, and we have people in uh, on the ground in Shenzhen and Hong Kong, and also Kunming. And so there's a there's a lot of travel. I'm I, nominally we're based in Beijing, and I'm based in Beijing, but I'm probably in Beijing about twenty percent of the time. And then this year, the rest of that time is various other places in China on the road, hanging out with Chinese investors, looking at Chinese projects, things like that. Uh, in in other years, of course, there'd be a lot of international travel as well. Gotcha. Cool. And so and. How much? Uh, how much has COVID put a complete kibosh on everything for you? So, I, for it has not impacted our business operations uh, for the most part. But in terms of the impact in China on China business on China society, A to Z, uh, of course, it's had a, a very tremendous impact, especially gotcha. in February and March, and and to some extent April. Uh, January, February, March, I suppose. But, uh, you know, obviously it's still on everyone's minds. Uh, and it's clear that this will be an ongoing issue internationally, of course, we know, but also in China, where it's mostly controlled, but there are still uh, flare-ups from time to time, such as in Beijing recently. Um, so it, it's a big issue. Is there is there still travel? Like, are you able to like get around and and take meetings and do do the normal sure. stuff you were doing? Or so, that- for currently, travel is for the most part a non-issue. However, uh, there are these recurrent flare-ups, and when there's a flare-up, then then travel to and from that city becomes an issue, for sure. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, it's good. I mean, it's good that you're that things are still moving relatively well for you there because things mm. here just, just yeah. keep getting worse and worse and yeah. worse. So. Uh, yeah, man. We're facing well, I wasn't, please. I wasn't sure. Like, yeah. 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 I mean, we don't actually get very much reliable news from China. Yeah. So it's really hard to tell. I, I mean, I heard that there were, you know, cities near Wuhan that were, um, like people were trying to go, go back to work, but they couldn't. There were new waves of the virus that were affecting, and people were upset about that. And so there are. I would characterize them as flare-ups. I wouldn't say waves. Waves, the way that's being used for COVID, and you know, first wave, second wave, things like that. It implies um, considerable numbers and strength. I would say more like there are little flare-ups. Uh, one person becomes twenty, becomes fifty becomes maybe a hundred and then it's there are draconian measures taken and that gets kind of under yeah. control again. I would characterize so does, it more like that. How does it, these little, how little does clusters. It, how does it affect your like business? Do you, how do you guys end up losing money? Is it, is it that you guys have to close shop shop for a month or can you guys, so it has home? not, it has not affected our business uh, because we're, uh, we're fully capable of going virtual as we did in, uh, in January, February, and, and March, uh, where we were fully work from home, uh, fully virtual. Hmm. So it doesn't affect us basically at all. But of course, for for you know for factories, for brick and mortar companies, for things like that, there's uh, tremendous impact. Yeah, 
So what got you ex- like what got you interested in going to China and living there full time to do fintech versus Wall Street or Shanghai sure. or London? Sure. So my previous experience was uh, was Wall Street, but I, I I think it was number one. It was a, a macro bet, a long term macro bet. Number two, I think uh, a lot of the reasons that interested me in China are similar to the reasons that I'm so interested in blockchain and crypto. Uh, it's dynamic. It's fascinating. It's uh, has incredible energy, and uh, and it's in many ways the, both the present and the future. So it's really similar reasons that attract me to China and also to crypto blockchain. Nice. So do you do you um, do you live kind of an expat life? Do you know a lot of um, Americans or Westerners that you work with, or are you really integrated sure. over there? Sure. So I. I very actively avoided that. Uh, and I, I would say that, um, so I mean, first of all, I'm a workaholic, so I'm not really hanging out a lot, but, uh, I, I did very actively avoid getting trapped in an expat bubble. I think that's not good for business. And, uh, and I, I am fairly fluent in Mandarin. Uh, so I, I think probably I, I spend most of my time with Chinese. Cool. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, I guess like the, the main Man, question I'm here to like, do, the, I'm here to do business, right? Not to, uh, yeah, exactly. Swap stories so, I mean, with it, other expats, right? So is so, that uh, it? It takes are, a lot. It takes a lot of time and, and energy to, to build, uh, the necessary relationship, network with Chinese and it's been a, a process over many years and, and you don't uh, accomplish that by hang, hanging out at the American embassy or whatever. Right. You, you hang yeah. out on Twitter a lot instead, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I, I do. I, I confess that I love Twitter. I do, <laughs> but that's blockchain people and that's yeah. talking shop and talking shit and it's, and it's fun and um, <laughs> swapping stories. Yeah. So I, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do, I do, love, I do love Twitter. I, I confess. Yeah. I mean, also I, that, I, that's something I can do while multitasking. Yeah. That's something I can do while I'm, uh, you know, having beers with Chinese investors or whatever. Um, uh, so that, yeah, that is something that I, that I enjoy. I confess. <laughs> Do you, do you plan on staying out there the rest of your life? Like, is this like a life goal to, or I mean, like a no, permanent I, move? No, I think this or? is business driven. This is a, a business decision and it's business driven. I think that the likely uh, ultimate outcome will, will be that I'll be, I'll be half U.S., uh, half China, something like that, as the business continues to expand. Seems pretty so, smart considering the way th- the way th- the way the world is uh, evolving to have uh, a stronghold in China, a business stronghold. I'm just, mm. I, I I had a I had a uh, like a small private label business, and all of our manufacturing was done in China. <laughs> and uh, although I don't really yeah. I don't do that anymore, I was grateful for the experience of working with, you know, working with Chinese people and and also working you know doing sales in America. Mm. It's certainly I mean, a, a fascinating experience. <laughs> was it like was Something it a major culture day. shock for you? Yeah, of course it was. It's a, a, a the, the difficulty in doing business uh, between, for example, the United States. I'm an American, right? The United States and China. It's only five to ten percent language. Even if even if if you had uh, translators with you all the time and things like that, the business cultural differences are enormous. Enormous. This is very different in every way. Yeah. But it's not, it's so what, not, you know, like moving to France. Right? So what was the, the biggest shock for you business wise <laughs> when you went there? Um, that's a good question. I, I think that, um, so or one of them, or just one of them. Sure. To give some examples, um, I, I think the the communication style can be quite different. 
not. Certainly, Americans are probably, and especially me, are probably at one end of the spectrum in terms of uh, being extremely direct and aggressive and, and, and things like that. Uh, whereas um, the communication style in, uh, culturally in China tends to be much more subtle and less direct. You have to interpret a lot of very subtle cues that was something that was quite unnatural for me and quite difficult for me, for sure. I mean, I'm a, I grew up in Connecticut and New York, right? So especially having lived in, in New York City for a long time, I'm used to just being, you know, I mean, New Yorkers, yeah, New Yorkers yeah. stab you in the front, right? <laughs> you know, exactly. Super aggressive. So that, that was very unnatural for me. Very unnatural. How, how patient were they? Or were they with you in, in like the early stages? Uh, I think quite patient, but at the same time, things can get go off the rails very quickly due to uh, an inability to understand uh, each other's motivations and an inability to communicate effectively and things like that. Gotcha. Yeah. So with with fintech, I don't really know anything about it. So <laughs> I'm not sure how much our, our listeners know. Is can you give us like a, a crash course of like what you guys do and what fintech actually is? Well, fintech. I mean, obviously, it's the intersection of fintech, uh, finance, and technology, right? So that can yeah. encompass a number of different things. I mean, that can include you know Robinhood, right? For example. But okay. uh, for us, we, we continue to, uh, to service legacy clients, but we are, we are all in on blockchain for sure. So uh, many uh, aspects of blockchain are, of course, fintech related. We tend to be especially uh, interested in those aspects because it's, it, it, it's, it's our wheelhouse, right? But uh, uh, ultimately, it's about using technology to drive financial innovation, right? And that can encompass a, a wide variety of things. So what's, what's, what's a, an example of a product or service that your, your company offers? Sure. So our, our primary focus is our liquid value blockchain fund. And so we're working on some some pretty cool VC style investments that that we've kind of been in, in stealth on for much of the year. So we likely will have some uh, pretty big announcements in in then uh, as soon as the next few weeks, actually. So, so you in, so not like in the next next like two minutes. What's <laughs> that? Not in the next two minutes. No, but we we've, we've been in stealth on 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 two major projects this year, and one of them is. Uh, is ripening, and and so we could have a, um, a a pretty big announcement in the next uh, in the next weeks. And those are those are just projects you've been working on. You could uh, yes, you could characterize it as that. Yeah. Can you tell us anything about nope. what they nope, are, what they do? <laughs> no, cannot. <laughs> so cannot. you have a you have a business. So you have a business that. So look, we uh, we 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 have been trying making, to understand what the business does. Sure. So. We, uh, our legacy business is sell-side investment banking for international companies in China. That's our... <laughs> okay, uh, hold, on, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, Maybe our, give me like a 30-second 30, 30 explanation of what that one sentence that you just said means. Yeah. <laughs> so sell-side so investment banking means that you represent uh, the companies that are looking to raise money or find strategic partners, strategic partners and investors. So gotcha. our legacy okay. business is is investment banking, uh, representing uh, those companies that have unique needs for the China market. Strategic investment, uh, strategic partnership. So uh, are you the VC, or you help connect VCs so that, to that? So that that's our legacy business, which can be best characterized as uh, boutique uh, investment banking, uh, since. 2015, we have started uh, very slowly, very gradually at first, uh, but to make investments in the blockchain uh, space in both the primary and secondary market. And we've been increasingly focused on on blockchain. 
uh, as an investor, as opposed to as a banker. So uh, we, so we, uh, you know, don't know that much about investment banking, and uh, but uh, so it sounds like you you in you invest and you find investments for other businesses, and then you also invest in blockchain businesses yourself. Is that right? Sure, that's correct. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so when you invest in blockchain businesses, are you investing? Are you investing in businesses? Or are you actually investing in tokens and coins? We have done both. Initially, it was more the latter. Uh, but as the ecosystem has begun to mature, we're mostly focused now on the former. Oh, okay. And then, so do you, do you invest for, for, for clients? Do you invest for, um, for businesses and individuals? Or do you do it as a business and that's, your, that's the way the company makes money is, is return off investments? We have uh, we have both our, our own funds that we invest in. We have um, some pretty pretty cool LPs uh, here as in Greater China as well. What are LPs? Limited partners. So okay. we uh, so that's that's how a VC fund works. Right, you have the general partner who is managing the fund and usually is investing uh, their own capital as well typically. And then you have limited partners who are uh, not managing, some, not finding, uh, not monitoring the investors, but they are yeah. investing capital. So for example, when uh, with Andreas and Horowitz. Hey, hey, uh, hold, hold on really fast. Yeah, you, mm-hmm. you, we lost you for about five seconds. Can, so can you start over with the yeah, explanation of LP? Sure. So, for example, if you look at Andreas and Horowitz, right? So, Andreas and Horowitz is one of the most famous VCs in Silicon Valley, and so Andreas and Horowitz would be the the GP, which is the general partner, and they contribute capital to their VC funds, and then they raise the bulk of the capital from outside investors, which are called LPs, limited partners. And so an LP for Andreas, I don't, I don't have Andreas and Horowitz, uh, their, their LPs in front of me, but their LPs might be, for example, CalPERS, which is the uh, pension fund for California. Yeah. Or their LPs might be an ultra high net worth investors, uh, it might be Bill Gates or Paul, Paul Allen. So it, it's a combination of uh, pension funds, ultra high net worth investors, a wide variety people could be LPs and then the VCs themselves uh, along with their their legal entity those are the, the that's the GP right okay gotcha so you're in the money business so yes, you're we're like in the billions. money business you're in the we're money in the, business we're in the okay. money business we're so in the this China show blockchain money business we're usually yeah. uh, you know we don't get, get to often interview people who are kind of in the money business the, the the you know we are, we're like usually inter- interviewing the the technologists the the, ah, the people okay. behind that the actual project yeah. so so this is kind of cool this is so that's why we, might... we took a while to get on the same page that makes sense <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah 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 so we're in the yeah. work I I should just I, I guess I, I wasn't sure where we were where we were starting from so look we're in the money business and we 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 used to be on the investment banking side uh, but now we are. Uh, and, and it was more general for fintech, but now we are focused specifically on blockchain and more on the VC side. Nice. We, we, we're yeah. we're going to cut that now out. Now we're on the same that, page. Put that in the front. Yeah. <laughs> now we're on the same page. Yeah. So, all right, let's talk about some crypto. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, like, what kind of stuff are, are you, when you want to invest in something, are you looking to invest in some guy in a hut somewhere who just made something absolutely incredible? Or are you looking for big companies that are investing tons of money and have, you know, tons of employees? And like, what, where are you actually looking for? This for is a great question. And so this is a great question and it varies a lot for different funds. Uh, so a Silicon Valley fund will usually have a very defined uh, mandate. Their investors will uh, expect them to be focusing on a specific stage uh, and with specific characteristics in a very defined way. The advantage 
because over the years, becoming increasingly familiar with Chinese business culture and how to uh, and and how to interact with it in the best way. One of the, the one of the big advantages of Chinese business culture is that we are able to have a very flexible mandate. So. Uh, in terms of stage and size, we can be super flexible, um, which is not typically possible for uh, for a VC fund. We do. Gotcha. Uh, we are very strict on China strategic angle. So what we would want to see is that there is a way for us to contribute in building the business, not just with money. But with uh, with with a focus on China, especially, and uh, and so that's something that we're very strict on. And then the second thing that we are very focused on is we are much more interested in doing uh, a small, a smaller number of deals, but in a, in a, a deeper, bigger way, rather than doing you know five hundred deals. We'd rather do. Uh, we'd rather. We'd rather go big with with uh, a small number of cool things than than go small with you know many things. Gotcha. Do you yeah. can you give us an example of somebody you um, are investing in already that and and kind of the backstory of why you picked them? Uh, I'd rather not comment on specific deals, but I, I can say that with our fintech background, one thing uh, one thesis that we have that we always are super interested in is that we have a thesis that um, the general trend for any kind of financial market is increasing complexity and abstraction over time. Uh, So we tend to to look for investments that are consistent with that. So an example of that would be that uh, at first you just have people... um, people trading Bitcoin. And then after that, you have options and futures. So you, you, and those are increasingly popular. So you, you have increasing complexity over time. It tends, tends to be a natural trend of any financial market. So in anything that's consistent with that trend, which we have a, a fairly deep understanding of, we tend to be super interested in. So obviously, for example, uh, DeFi was something that, uh, we, we very naturally understood. Gotcha. Okay. Me, immediately made sense to us as opposed to some of these other things that are not as related to finance, which we tend to be uh, more skeptical about and, and, and not as, as interested in. I mean, cause so like, for, so for example, that's why we passed on Filecoin. I still fundamentally don't get it. <laughs> hmm. that's okay. interesting. We, we might be able to talk about that because, that's not that to, that to us is a technology that seems very practical and, and so the necessary. technology itself and and again I should emphasize that this is the opposite of our wheelhouse so it's very possible that we just don't get it and that's on us very possible but uh, the technology itself seems super interesting to me what I don't what I don't understand is why anyone would want to be using this <laughs> hmm. and again that definitely, this is the uh, this is that's an example of a project that uh, plays to our weaknesses. Very possible we just don't get it, yeah. but we don't. <laughs> so do you? So I, so this is actually the first time yeah. we've talked to somebody in like legacy traditional finance yes. that has mentioned DeFi and like the the DeFi projects. You are excited about those. You see an actual application for those in the real world. They aren't just they aren't just uh, crypto's cosplay of of fi- the financial world. That's correct. That that's our view. Uh, we we think that a lot of these uh, products will become increasingly mature over time. But we we view this as quite different than uh, than the ICO boom, which didn't really make sense to us and seemed more like cosplay. Um, yeah. With well, a lot of things a, that, yeah, mm-hmm. that's quite an endorsement because, yeah. I mean, we like the the DeFi movement. Can we call it a movement at this point? It seems, yeah, like a I movement. think we can. Yeah. So, so sure, it's yeah. it's 
it seemed very much like the ICO movement to me. It was like, oh, another another kind of kitschy idea that is going to make sense because it has to do with these legacy ideas of finance and it's replacing that system. But that that uh, that gives me some that that that's a very positive thing that you would look at this and say actually this is the real deal. This is this these probably will be replacing uh, you know, traditional finance in the future. So we, we view this as uh, a very long process and there are, there's going to be a need, a tremendous need for experimentation. Many of these projects will fail for one reason or another. But we, uh, we view this as something that's very, very serious. Are there any, that's correct, yeah. are there any specific aspects of the financial world that you think are ready to be decentralized like now? Or, or I should say, they 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 need decentralization, like if they're going to survive. Sure, I I think I I would say that um, this is this is we should think of this more as a very long process, a ten year process, rather than uh, rather than things are breaking right now that need fixing, and DeFi is going to solve these things. I, I, yeah, I think I guess, it's, it's too aggressive to say that there's some aspect of uh, traditional finance that's going to be killed by DeFi right away. I don't think that's realistic. I think that's too aggressive. So I, I guess my, my main question is you don't understand Filecoin, but you understand the concept of it. Just you know, Sure, just, yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I, I get it in that bare bones way. I, I just, I'm not convinced that this is something. I mean, do you think that what, what what would be your elevator speech for Falcon, if you don't mind my asking? Uh, for people who like, want privacy, you... just a way yeah. to uh, break up your data and put it in a bunch of different um, people's hard drives. And that way, if somebody gets your hard drive, they don't have access to it. They'd have to find the keys and then access 100 different hard drives around the world, which is yeah. near impossible. Okay, I think and, that's I think that's for people who are borderline crazy with their security which i think mm-hmm. only caters to right. like 0.1% of the planet yeah so exactly so i i i'm not saying no one wants this anywhere but i'm saying that this seems like a like a very very small number of people with extreme more idiosyncratic needs so it's it's tough to yeah. be, for me to understand why this would uh justify raising a large amount of money and and building out a whole ecosystem. If you tell me that, I don't know, Edward Snowden needs this, then I, I, and you tell me why, then I I might say, okay, if you have extreme privacy needs or some kind of idiosyncratic Hmm. situation, fine. Like I, that could make sense to me for sure. But if you tell me that a lot of people are going to be swapping hard drive space and, and, and then you also tell me that you can build a token economic model around that. I, I just, it doesn't, I don't buy it fundamentally. Yeah, I, I get, but so that was the first part. So you, you understand the concept of it. You just yeah. don't think it's going to sell. Right, but exactly. Then with De- yeah. But with DeFi, yeah. none of it's decentralized. <laughs> like it's all, it's all single points of failure as we're finding out with That's hack true. after hack after hack after hack. So I guess my question is, is it something you envision in the future of actually being decentralized? Because I think so if for people who listen to our show, they'll know that one of my biggest pet peeves in the mm-hmm. cryptocurrency space is the uh, erroneous use of words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And decentralized like, like finance is one of them. <laughs> like saying DCEP is blockchain or it's going to compete with Bitcoin or some kind of nonsense like that. Yeah, there's a lot yeah, well, of word just, ones, right? I mean, but like you're saying, hey, you know, we have decentralized finance, even though none of these things are actually mm. decentralized, and they're all single so points I, of failure. I think this is, <laughs> I think this is uh, a, a strong point, uh, and it gets in, it does get into a very philosophical discussion about uh, the need or the value of pure de- decentralization or not, things like that. To to me, it's more about um, is this, is this, uh, to me, it's more about, um, going outside traditional power structures 
and uh, providing or potentially providing access to um, to, to unbanked, to uh, having having a way to access these uh, these technologies and these abilities without going through the traditional financial system, things like that. I, th I think that's much more interesting than questions of purity of decentralization. I, I certainly gotcha. agree that many of these terms are erroneous. There's no question that, that, that that's true. Okay. Score one for Michael. <laughs> just, just kidding. No, no. So, I mean, well, it's, it's true. These terms are very often used wrong. Uh, and uh, there are single points of failure. There are many issues. This is very, very early days. Um, yeah. I'm also not totally convinced that uh, pure centralization is a necessary ideal. Um, I, I think that that's an open question. Yeah, is what I would suggest. And and, and you can you can see that in a a, a variety of ways, right? People, um, people that. So the, the, this also gets into cultural things. It's really an interesting philosophical question. The percentage of whales that uh, leave most of their digital assets on centralized exchanges in China is probably much higher than it is in the West. This gets into cultural differences. This gets into all kinds of philosophical issues. Um it, it, Do you think that's because they got into it later than? No, I don't actually. I, I would have to really think about why that is. But it, I, my, my view is that it's uh, not necessarily related to when people became involved with the ecosystem. Just more their if, if their you, relationship you, with their with with power structures. For, if you controlled, yeah, if you controlled with the, the variables for when people uh, got involved in the ecosystem and how much uh, they have in digital assets and things like that, if you controlled for all these variables, uh, I, I believe that what you would find is that the percentage of Chinese versus, say, Americans that keep uh, the vast majority of their digital assets on centralized exchanges is much higher. Really? Yeah, I mean, I I feel like that that the reason I would think that makes sense is because I feel like the East got into it later, post Mount Gox, and so that that would be mm. my nat my natural incl inclination. But then when you say that's you don't think that's it, my second inclination would be well, they have a different relationship with. Uh, government and power and power structures and and whereas we're a little more yeah. um or, or less trusting in the west especially right now um then then mm. you know maybe that's maybe that's another reason why and we're just super parent i mean you get that it's like we we live in a country of paranoia right now with you know you got to mm. have you can't have a gun for protection you got to have 100 guns for protection you, you hmm. know you got to you got to have 17 VPNs to run this and run that. And, and hmm. but we've kind well, of in China, everyone's a VPN expert. <laughs> well, in, in, in crypto anyway, in crypto, or if you're a developer or things like that. Really? Nice. Okay. Well, that's smart. Interesting. I, I shouldn't suggest that that's the, the average person, but, but if you're, if you're in blockchain, uh, you, you know, you probably have a, a very intimate understanding of VPNs. Uh, in a very widespread way that might not necessarily be true uh, in the West. I'm not sure. I mean, look, you get to do to do anything uh, crypto related. You have to be using a VPN all the time if you're in China. Does does that mean it's illegal? Uh, that means. So you're asking about. Does that mean what's illegal exactly? Well, I mean, does that mean that you said that people who are doing things in 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 related so to blockchain? So just look, a lot of these I mean, websites are blocked, right? I if see. You, they're, they're, 
Yeah, they're blocked. Uh, if you want to be in a Telegram group, Telegram's blocked. How are you going to get access to your information? If you want to be on Twitter, that's blocked. Many of the gotcha. key websites are blocked. Um, Etherscan was blocked for, I'm not sure if it's blocked now, but it was blocked for a time, right? So I see. Uh, fundamentally, you're going to need to be using a VPN all the time just to do basic tasks that are part of crypto, whether it be accessing information or or what. Do you use exchanges or do you do over-the-counter buying and selling of crypto or both? Uh, I'd rather not answer that question. (laughs) Right. It's probably smart. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Especially because I don't know if you saw, but there's a huge... one of the, the top five crypto desks, the CEO, in the last 24 to 48 hours, uh, it, it seems, talking about top five in China, it seems that he uh, most likely has been detained by the Hangzhou police. It would be the equivalent of possibly like one of the Winklevoss twins being detained suddenly. So it's really mm. big news over here. Wait, the detained the, for for what? For so we're not totally sure b- about that. Mm-hmm. We just know that he has. Uh, I'm not sure if you would want to say gone missing, but he's been taken, you know, into custody. Maybe is the best way to phrase that by the Hangzhou police. Uh, this seems essentially to be confirmed, and so uh, that is one of the, you know, the big bosses in China. OTC. I see. Uh, so we, so buying the, and selling over the counter is this is, is like, at, at best cool. a gray activity in China. We, we don't we don't deal with I anything see. with with renminbi. So this is not the, the, the reason I don't like to answer questions about OTC versus exchange is more of an upset uh, uh, issue. But uh-huh. uh, and, and we don't do anything that even touches the gray area for many, many reasons. We don't do anything right. with renminbi, et cetera, et cetera. I think but a it lot did of remind our... me that this is, but but even though it doesn't affect us personally, it did remind me that this is very much a uh, gray area here in China, and it can be a big issue. Yeah, I think I think there's probably a lot of listeners that just kind of assume a big company moving a lot of money is going to look to buy OTC. It's hard to imagine. I mean, then again, we see the we see the paywalls on the exchanges, and we see all the money going through there. It's just it's hard to imagine um, an institution with a lot of money going on the same the same the same websites that um, you know somebody buying five or ten dollars worth of crypto. So I think that that there is this kind of idea like how 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 does that happen? And then of course in China, how does that happen? I'm mm-hmm. not asking you to answer that. I'm just it is it's something that's kind of a yeah. mystery to a lot of people. How much OTC sure, happens? So obviously, you're, in obviously the, if you're going to be making a, a major purchase of of uh, some uh, token, then you're going to want to be on an OTC desk, um, and then uh, on on the on the other hand, if you're implementing some kind of high frequency trading strategy or something like that, then you're uh, then you're not you're you're going to be doing that with an API through an exchange, things like that. Right. So this gets into questions about uh, short, medium, long-term positions versus trading mm-hmm. in and out, things like that. So it it, it gets into, uh, uh, it becomes very related to, to strategy and tactics. Right. How much OTC is done outside of the blockchain world? Uh, so like in, in legacy in legacy. Sure. uh, So I I think it would, I would have to have data in front of me to make a comparison about proportions, but, um, but OTC is a major portion of traditional finance as well. Uh, if you're gonna, uh, if you're going to be, you know, buying, uh, a hundred million USD of, uh, you know, AT and T or whatever, you're not going to do that on Robinhood, right? So, but, yeah. but uh, you you might uh, there there are an OTC desk would certainly be one way that many block tra- block trades are transacted. So I understand the concept behind it 
of not wanting to move the market in any general direction okay. while you're building your portfolio. But once you're done, is that when they announce it because then they want the price to go up? Once, they, once they've established their foothold, then they're like, all right, in announcing it, finance? we're going. Yeah. And either. So in traditional finance, all of these things are, are very regulated. Um, and I would say price manipulation is taken pretty seriously. Uh, if you accumulate more than a certain percentage of a company, then you have to make a formal announcement. There are, there are lots of, of regulated procedures. Um, and, and in crypto, that's very much not the case, right? Um, yeah. in, in general, obviously, you, you wouldn't want to tip your hand in advance of fully executing on a trade. Uh, just from a just analyzing the motivations, right? If you're still buying, you don't, you, you don't want people to know that. Uh, and, and if you're fairly comfortable that you've sized your position to where you want it to be, then, uh, then you can talk about it, right? That, that, that's in, in terms of mo- talk, discussing motivations, not regulations. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, that, that, that's what I thought, but I wasn't sure if people were doing that for AT&T stock or, or other things like gold or this or that, but if you're saying they are doing it, I guess that makes sense because you want to. I just didn't. I just didn't think of OTC in terms of stocks. I just never. I've never thought of it that way. Yeah, um, I mean that's that's for more for the pros, right? There are not a lot of people that are looking to buy large quantities of uh, you know 18th or whatever. It's not necessarily the way that you have to transact. You could also. Uh, you could also have an algorithm that breaks your $50 million order into many small orders over a period of many days. That's also something that you could do and that people do do. There are, there are different ways to, to do many of these things, but certainly uh, for uh, for large uh, block order orders, OTC uh, is a way to transact. And is that something that that you have to that you have like a, uh, a headhunter and they start scouring out who may want to sell a hundred million dollars worth of AT and T? So no, it's more like there are there are desks that, uh, within banks, um, and at companies. Uh, it's it's more that there are, there are desks that that handle this sort of thing, and all day long they're talking to size buyer buyers and sellers. And they 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 have a, a specialized expertise in uh, in knowing either who can immediately take the other side of a, of a trade like that, or perhaps they uh, can take it for their own account and then hedge it somehow. There, there, this is a traditional finance is extremely specialized, and and so there there are people that are uh, professionals in in that business, and. Uh, and, and 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 you would you would go to to a desk at Goldman Sachs or wherever, and and they would help you accomplish this kind of trade. So how do you how do you do that though without tipping your hand of like a a, 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 ta- a corporate takeover or something like that or you know how would how do you feasibly do that if like if if somebody says hey I want to buy twelve percent of AT and T how do you go to Goldman and not have that get out and then everybody know about it in the next day or within an hour or two. Sure. So th- this is a, a, a good question. Uh, I, I think Going to that a closed room. So I, I, I think that this gets answered in a couple different ways. First of all, um, if you are the kind of person that um, can buy percent of AT&T that's a a very small number of people right and this small number of people uh, can drive a lot of very lucrative business so uh, you would want to have a long-term relationship with that kind of person and you wouldn't want to blow it up by uh, by by taking uh, a short-term profit 
on one trade by taking advantage of, you know, George Soros or whatever. That that seems like it would be a, a really dumb decision. Um, uh, so if, if you're uh, if you're running an OTC desk for Goldman, uh, you know, I think you, you, your career would pretty much be over if you pissed off George, Sor- you know, someone like George Soros by violating their trust, right? That seems right. like a good yeah. way to end your career. Immediately. Oh, I don't, I don't mean in the it, sense of like violating the trust, but I'm saying, how would you well, float out, float out the you, idea to other people? Because you have to, you have to ask somebody, hey, I've got an interested buyer for for 12%, even if you don't say who the buyer is, that's going to raise some, oh, some questions, right? People saying. are going to be so, like, oh, so shit, somebody wants to, to... If you have to to place it, right? So, well, I, th- I think that one of the answers there is that uh, it, it's it's not clear to me that you would you would tip your hand. That, I mean, this is like a poker game, right? So you wouldn't, you wouldn't say that you have 12... Let, let, let's say you, you take you take the other side of a George Soros trade for your for your book and then you hedge it and then now you have to move it though uh, but you're not gonna tell people that you have 12 percent right uh, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna try to move it a little bit of a, a little bit at a time in a discreet way things like that right gotcha a, so you're not looking you're not looking game. for one buyer you're you may be looking for like a hundred buyers or something like that or five yeah. different hedge funds yeah. or so okay you would see okay. if you can move a little with uh with the bank of omaha or whatever and they're not gonna necessarily be talking to the next guy who might be uh based in geneva or whatever uh you're you're gonna see if you i mean there's a little bit of a pecking order in, in traditional finance too right uh so you you might see if you can you know move a little off your Books a little here, a little there, right? A little bit of a, gotcha. of a poker game, and also, I mean, that's that's the specialized skill uh, that they build up over time. Right? So how, I asked it. To, I asked it because yeah. when no, when I Buffett mean, it's said, a good "Question," I mean, the answer is you can't do that, right? You can't just yeah. be like, "Well, no, hey, no," because because Buffett yeah, said, yeah. "Hey, I just sold you know five percent of all my. I sold like a hundred billion dollars worth of airlines." And he announced it. I'm like, well, did you just do mm. it yesterday? I'm like, how did you do that? How did you? Yeah. How do you move that much uh, airlines? Air, airlines. Right. I mean, obviously, I can't speak to that uh, specific trade. And, sure. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. but uh, you know, the the this is a, a network of relationships that these uh, people have, and so he's gonna have a, a mental map or a Rolodex. Uh, of all of, of uh, the bankers and the and the and the hedge fund managers and and a lot of people that can do size for that industry, and I mean he's not going to do it himself, but he's going to have a guy that that does this for him, uh, either either internally or externally or most likely both, and and they're gonna they're gonna have a confidence in. Uh, making these these kinds of trades in the most discreet manner possible. I mean, but do people get pissed off if, if they're like, oh, yeah, I just bought this airline stock, and then Buffett announces the next day he sold 100% of his airline stocks because he thinks it's well, going to yeah, I mean, bomb, I, and you're like, oh, fuck, I'm the one who bought his his shitty-ass airline stocks. Now I feel like yeah, an asshole. I mean, or if, now I, I, if I... Uh, if I was managing a, uh, a hedge fund and I... I Somebody laid off Buffett's airline stock on me, and I didn't know that, that that's what was going on. And then Buffett announces it the next day. I'm gonna call up, I'm gonna call up my my guy at, at Goldman or wherever, and I'm gonna be screaming in the phone that he rat fucked me. And, you know, there's been a lot of, <laughs> a lot of is to be throwing shit across the room, and it's not gonna be a well, a pretty actually, scene. You know, I'm gonna so, move on <laughs> my business to fucking where you know. Is, well, yeah, that, I mean, yeah. people that's are gonna interesting be pissed off. You- yeah. Matthew, that's interesting though. That there's like basically there's these there's these games that you got to play where sometimes oh, you're gonna have to piss people is. off. And so 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 I'm gonna special, say you know I was fifty three percent of uh, your revenue last fucking year. You got that promotion and you rat fucked me on this Buffett deal. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm gonna move all my business across <laughs> the street and blah blah blah. Yeah, I mean of course, of course, absolutely. That's when like absolutely. Stuff in, that, that's where the stuff in the movies comes from. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, for sure this will happen. Yeah. So is that And is that's that where they'll try similar? to say, well, I got a layoff. Then they'll try to think, well, I got a layoff this Buffett. 
And so I can't lay it off on him because he'll kill me. He's too important to our deaths. So I got to find the Omaha guy or wherever, you know, or yeah. lay it off on the, the fucking, you know, your on Soros. You know what? It, well, yeah, you got to I mean, of course, this is like a poker game, a high, very, very high stakes poker game. Yeah. So how much is that? How, how similar is that to how the crypto stuff is going, like stuff is going on in, in Beijing? <laughs> Yeah. Is it really similar? Is it just like, it, you know, uh, I it, I would mean, say that the, uh, it's a, a, a more sophisticated uh, version of the, the same impulses. It's uh, more sophisticated? It's Crypto the, the is traditional, more sophisticated? No, no, no. The traditional version, of course. Oh. Okay. Uh, the, yeah, yeah, the traditional version is a more sophisticated version of the same games. And it's also more tightly constrained by regulations and norms. Uh, so it, it's it's uh, less sophisticated crypto than is a, a less sophisticated, more crazier, more more helter skelter version, right? And then trying and, to master a language, and then also try to understand their <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. their poker faces. And like you said, yeah, yeah. it was harder for you to understand uh, their subtlety when they speak mm. and so trying to master all that and dealing with all this money at the same mm. time how long how long do you felt how long or do you do you feel like you're at a place now where you don't have to think about stuff it's just it's just coming second nature or do you uh, still a lot of things are second nature yeah okay i, I would say that's probably true but you, you can't get overconfident but but a lot of things are are second nature yeah so how long did it take you to feel like you had your feet underneath you in in Beijing Years. dealing with this kind of stuff? Okay. Years. And how long have you been out there for? So Sino Global Capital has been since 2015. I've been in China about eight years. Okay. Nice. Did you uh, did you flounder at first, or were you always pretty strong? Uh, yeah, absolutely floundered at first. Uh, I, I I felt like I had a good. F- Good footing uh, by the time I, I set up my own shop, of course. But the first, you know, couple years in in China, uh, where I was uh, an MD for a uh, for a Chinese VC and and led their overall their their led their international efforts. It was uh, it was uh, a lot of times I, I felt like I had no idea what was going on and and didn't understand people's motivations and and felt very lost. Yeah, for sure. How long did you have to? Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, how long has Sino Global Capital been a thing? Then is that re- recent? 2015. Okay. Yeah. So I had three years of China VC experience before I, uh, before I uh, opened my own shop. How how often do you have to take people to the mat to prove that you're uh, a player? <laughs> Sorry, I saw uh, the tweet where you're like wrestling that guy in the, in the middle oh, of the yeah. office. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I mean, he just uh, he showed up at my office and said, uh, "Hey, I'm a competitive wrestler." So I said, "Well, we should wrestle." <laughs> was was everybody just like totally like freaked think, out by that? I, I think people already know I'm eccentric by now. Okay. <laughs> Did you win his business? Is the question. Uh, it, it was. It, it it it's a friend of a friend. Oh, okay. nice. It wasn't business we were looking to win. Uh, nice. You can see, you can see that some of the other people in in the frame uh, didn't even look up. So obviously, the, you know, the, yeah, the, the team yeah, the is one used guy, to the, me, but the one yeah. guy in the desk behind you is like didn't even look up from his computer <laughs> at all. Yeah, that's that's Dermot. That's our our research head. Yeah, he didn't even blink an eye. He's, he's been he's been with uh, with us uh, since two thousand since the get go since day one. Uh, so he knows me pretty well by now. <laughs> so how how big of a player do you feel you are at this point in in Beijing, or or, or Sino Capital is? Ah, uh, it's tough. Like, to would you would you consider like yourself that, like like a yeah. like would you consider yourself like a, a boutique, or are you like mid scale or or bigger, or like are you mid, or is that or mid, is that mid scale? Okay, okay, nice. With with respect to to blockchain specifically. Do you gotcha. enjoy okay. do you enjoy the crypto aspect of it? Do you think do you think you're uh, helping to change the world, or is this just a thing? I, that I'm, I'm, money? I'm a I'm a business person. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm a very opinionated business person. 
Um, nice. So I, I very deeply admire the, you know, the the revolutionary type people that uh, that help to uh, to birth Bitcoin. But I, I, I don't view myself as that type of person. Well, I guess gotcha. not if you're if you're working legacy markets too, and that's sort of mm. an established thing for you. Mm. But uh, I mean, then if you are if you're getting into you know Ethereum DeFi projects, then you are uh, at least um, you know partially contributing to that potential future. Yeah, so sure. So you're voting with your dollars. Mm. This is true. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's, I don't think it has to be a binary choice of helping unbanked people become banked and also profit off of, you know, opening up a new market. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think those two have to be mutually exclusive. So, um, and I think that's the 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 hard thing that it's kind of like what it's a it's one of my frustrations with people in America with government, the idea mm-hmm. of government. Is they're just like, no, government's bad. And you're like, do you even know what government is? Like, government yeah. is my next door neighbor I who I voted of- for to go represent yeah. me, you know? And it's just like, and so the same thing like with banking. It's just like, well, no, yeah. banking is providing a service. It's not all mm. good or not all bad. Like, they're, it's, mm. it's, a, it's a living, breathing thing. So I tend to not have a lot of patience for the uh, all government is bad crowd. <laughs> yeah, it's, it I, I gets don't, annoying. I, I don't. I don't have a lot in common with with that mentality. It doesn't make sense to me. I think it's. I think it's a dangerous way of thinking. It's just lazy. I mean, it's we're, a lazy we're, we're way seeing, of thinking. We're seeing uh, what what happens to a society when you have collective action problems very vividly in 2020. I think. Yeah. When, when you don't have uh, government, then you you know how how are you going to fight a, a pandemic? It's not going to go well. When you when you don't have uh, at this stage, it's a question of if you have incompetent uh, government, how messy it will it be? What if you didn't have any government? I'm sure it would be even messier. Yeah, I mean, you can complain about different governments and different styles of government, mm. but at the end of the day we're the biggest failure on the world stage right now. And so you can, you can have all the quote unquote freedom you want, but if you can't keep your country open because you've made so many bad decisions, then it's like, what's the point of freedom? Yeah. I mean, Americans as I understand it can't even fly to Europe right now. Right. Correct. Yeah. They just announced that. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like nuts to me, you know, yeah, and this that is, was uh, really exposing a lot of uh, a lot of the the flaws that have developed in recent decades in in the United States. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast about because uh, I'm I'm an actor and mm. and they were saying like oh you know we'll just send our act we'll we'll shoot stuff in foreign countries and they're like oh we can't go to those countries because we're American great yeah. so now are the entire uh, studio businesses is, is you mm. know limited to s- tiny parts of America that don't have outbreaks yet or have you know or mm. aren't huge hot, hot spots because they can't go anywhere else. It's just like it, it and, everything and frankly, starts to collapse. I mean, you can't you know this is these are responsible decisions by those other countries. You can't absolutely I absolutely. Mean, I would not let America into my country right any American into my country right now. It's if, just not if safe. If I were making that decision on behalf of say New Zealand, I, I there's no way I would I would. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I'm gonna. <laughs> we we've uh, we've we've taken all the responsible steps to uh, ensure against. Uh, an outbreak in in our country. We've got the situation under control, and I'm going to risk that in any way by allowing uh, uh, people to, to 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 come to our, our country from from a, a place that doesn't have the situation under control. There's no way I would do that yeah. if I were making that decision. Yeah. Oh, cool, nice, dude. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's cool to get a to get the perspective of somebody who's in the kind of sure thing finance finance world. Yeah, uh, it's, it's about time actually we get somebody <laughs> like that on the show. So. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, I felt. I felt. 
it's kind of a, a, a spot we've been lacking in, mm. uh, in like yeah. guest wise. So when I saw you and we were, ch- we were chatting, I was like, Ooh, nice. What, I can try to about, learn something. What do you think about this, this kind of like old kind of meme of, you know, institutional money coming into the crypto space is going to change everything. I mean, being somebody who's kind of in institutional money, like, like how, how do you, what, what's your take uh, on that? Sure. So I, I think it, the, the Paul Tudor Jones announcement, I think was huge. We view that as a huge, uh, hugely positive indicator. I, I think people need to understand that Paul Tudor Jones um, is someone that in, in many ways is very low. He's a, famous name on wall street but he's very low profile in a lot of ways he's not doing a lot of interviews but this guy is like a, a legend he's one of the top five macro traders in probably the world in the last 50 years uh and uh this is a, a, a very big deal someone whose every word is viewed in extremely high regard by the most sophisticated uh people in finance so to us, something like that is a hugely powerful indicator that institutional investors are taking uh, Bitcoin uh, very, very seriously indeed. And, and we view that as a part of a, a healthy maturation process for the industry. Uh, things like that are, are hugely important to us. Hmm. Nice. And when you, if you, when you look at like a chart of crypto, um, do you, is that kind of what you see? You're like, oh, this is where you know, this is where so and so probably started buying, or or no, I, is- I think that I think it's just it's too it's too big a market even mm. with someone really? like PTJ to to be able to to pinpoint it that specifically. Uh, I I think that's very very hard to do. A lot of crypto markets are really small, though. I mean, you're talking about this. Is well, Bitcoin no, I understand, but yeah. but but uh, so with PTJ, the the first thing is that he is a futures guy. That's his uh, bread and butter from the very beginning of his career. So he would be be placing those trades on uh, on the futures market. I, I suppose if you really uh, look very hard at the data on the futures markets, you could potentially pinpoint where some of his trading activity. Uh, took place with the benefit of hindsight. That that could be possible, uh, but if the if the question is on a, you know on a Bitcoin price chart something like that, could you potentially identify where he came to the Just table? Just look for that's, the dump. That's not that's not possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, we hear a lot of lot <laughs> of people, the rumors, sell the news. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right now, there's a lot of you know Bitcoiners talking about how you know grayscale this institu- institutional mm-hmm. investment firm mm-hmm. is is buying up more. Bitcoin then is being mined. Does that mean anything to you? Like, does that mean like, oh yeah, then we should be buying too? Uh, I am more cautious about something like that than I am about Paul Tudor Jones uh, type announcements. The grayscale gets more complicated very quickly because it's an ETF, because there is the price premium with the uh, with the spot price, uh, because a, a lot of people are are trying to arb that price premium, things like that. Um, that that's something that we would be be much more cautious about. Um, really? Okay. Mm. So it's not just as simple. I mean, as look, it's not not bu- it's not not bullish, right? It's it's good. We want this. It's great. The, the, it's a, it's a it's a positive sign but I, I think you 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 need to be more cautious about um something like that where they're they're selling a box and in the box is crypto stuff but the price of the box isn't that close it, it is has deviated significantly from the value of what's in the box right if you look at the yeah. spot price uh of the spot price of Bitcoin and Ethereum, then and then you look at the uh, the, the ETF unit price is, is a very big difference, right? So I, I think you really got you, you really have to be very cautious about what exactly is going on there and how very sophisticated players are interacting with that and trying to arbitrage it and things like that. Yeah, gotcha. 
Cool. Well, we don't want to keep you too late. Uh, well, I guess it's not late over there. It's, uh, it's <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> it's afternoon there. Yeah, early afternoon. Yeah. Go, go have lunch. <laughs> nice. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for talking to us. And um, absolutely, yeah. Do you, this is fun. Your, uh, ha, what is your Twitter handle so that our our listeners can follow you if they find you interesting? Maddie Sino. M a t t y s i n o. Sweet. And do you uh, want to? Uh, I just blanked on the word. <laughs> Do you want to pump out every, or any other? Infra- What's the word? Plug. God damn, I'm tired. Nah, I, I don't want to sell. No selling. <laughs> don't wanna I don't want to sell. sell. Okay. okay. Don't right. br- don't buy Tron Four or whatever the hell it is. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No Tron Four. All right, 4. Matthew. No BSD. Thank you. <laughs> That's all, all right, I got. Matthew.